Let's pray and then we'll launch into what the Holy Spirit has for us today. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians. And I thank you for what it means for us as a church. Would you give us the hearts to hear these words today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll start with my, one of my favorite preaching stories. It's about a couple that was in the habit of going to church every single week. And one Sunday morning, the husband's sitting at breakfast, and he's got a scowl on his face, and he's eating his cereal, and you can tell he's not happy. He says, I'm not going today. And somebody comes, his wife comes along and says, says, why are you not going to church? He says, I'll give you two good reasons. One, nobody likes me there. Two, I don't like anybody there. He says, you give me one good reason I should go. She says, I'll do better than that. I'll give you two. One, it's Jesus' church and you need to be there to serve and worship him. Number two, you're the preacher. So what do you do when you don't like the people you go to church with? Now, I'm going to suggest this is a serious question that we've got to get our minds and our hearts and our lives around. Because for many of you, you have a part of your story that says, I have stayed away from church or I've left a church or I've broken up with a church, whatever, because somebody didn't like me and I didn't like somebody there. And maybe, maybe it was all on the other side, but you got the message somehow that you were not welcome there. And there was this nasty word, there was a division there somehow, and you separated. And it left a wound, and it went deep. When, when churches divide, it's a serious issue because we don't quickly forget that. I was having a conversation with Chris Stevens, the preacher over at Avenue G. And he was talking about, in their history, some of the divisions their church has gone through. And he remembers very clearly as a young man, I mean a young student, when their church was on the verge of having a split years and years and years ago. He said one of the leaders in the church stood up and said, if we go through with this division, and he had a small boy with him, like five years old says, this small boy will be an old man before we forget what happens. I think he's absolutely right. And so, as we open up this letter that we have from the Apostle Paul, one that went around planting churches in the first century, one that had fallen under the lordship of who Jesus is and was sold out to this idea, he launches into this letter that we've been studying and we're going to be in for a while. And I hope you have your scripture journals with you. I hope you have your Bibles ready to go. Because right after he gets past the greetings, right after he gets past grace and peace, and I'm praying for you, he turns his attention to divisions. And it's almost startling how quickly he gets there. But I want to show you in this scripture where he goes with this today. Because once again, my thesis statement for this entire series is this right here. I believe that the 21st century dynamics, the ones that we live in right now, in our culture, in our world, and inside of our church, are greater, greater resemble the 1st century dynamics that were in their culture, in their world, and inside their church than any century in between. If you recall, those of you that are aware of 
in Acts where Paul goes and visits um, in Athens and gives a speech on Mars Hill, gives a sermon on Mars Hill. He spends the day walking around and he looks at all the different idols and he discovers an idol that they say to the unknown God. And so when he begins his sermon, he stands up in front of these very educated people and he says, Men of Athens, I see you're religious in every sort of way. You even have an idol to an unknown God and that's the God I want to tell you about now. I think you could give that speech, that sermon in modern America today. I see that you're religious in all kinds of ways. But now let me tell you about the God that created you, loved you, and gave his life for you. And so why, I, why I'm so excited is that I believe that all of these scriptures speak with fresh relevance to us. Not that they're saying new things. They're saying the things they've always said, but we're going to hear them with a fresh hearing, because our dynamics are so similar. In fact, as we go through the series, at some point, you're going to accuse me of having kind of jimmied with it a little bit, because it's going to sound like Paul's writing this letter straight to us. And the truth is, he is. He's writing to us. And so if you have your scripture journals, I hope you do, we're going to be on page 8. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in, still in the first chapter of Corinthians. And I really do encur- want to encourage you to follow along with this. And if you don't have one of these yet, please feel free to grab one. Uh, don't worry about having to make a donation. If that's a problem, we'd rather have the Scriptures in your hands. And also, if you're watching online and you want to come by the church during the week, you can definitely do that and grab, uh, grab one of these. We're going to be in just a few verses today, 10 10 through 17. To this church that Paul loves, he writes this. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe, Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If you remember from last week, we talked about there's a lot of very difficult things going on in the Corinthian church. There's all kinds of struggles. And we made the point last week that, yes, it's a great idea to want to be like the first century church. Just none of them that show up in the Bible. Because they've all got problems. Every letter that we have, Paul is writing to address a problem in the church. And in this one, it's kind of like they got tattled on. Because you notice the part where he says, Chloe's people have given report. So Chloe's group, whether it's her family or a traveling party, they arrived with Paul. How are things back in the Corinth church? 
She says, well, some things are going good. But Paul, we've got some problems as well. There's some divisions going on. And I want you to understand how much Paul hones in on that. That that catches his attention. And in fact, what I'm going to suggest, and what I firmly believe, is that he is addressing this first. Because if he can't get them past their divisions, the rest of the letter is not going to matter at all. He is leading with this because there are some other difficult theological discussions that they need to have, but they've got to get this one understood. They've got to be in the right posture and the right position to understand how do we pull this off as a church. And it's one thing to pull it off a church as large as we are. But remember, they're in a church of about 30, 40 meeting in a house. And so there's no secrets going on there. And yet, Paul's going to address this first. And I started thinking about this this week. And it occurred to me that throughout the entire New Testament, if you want to find a a place to challenge this, I would love to hear back from you. But I could not think of a single place inside the New Testament in the writings of Paul where Paul is actually worried about a threat from the outside for the church. Now, he addresses some threats and some persecutions from the outside. But Paul is concerned about threats that come from the inside of the church. He's never worried about the threats and the persecution that's coming from above, from the Roman Empire, who they don't get to vote on. They don't get to try to pass legislation through to make it more friendly. They don't try to get blue laws through to where you, what's going to be open and closed on Sunday. For some of you, that's ancient history, I know. But Paul is never worried about the church failing or faltering or losing because of the threat from the outside. Now, he equips people, he addresses the followers of Jesus and how to live under that persecution, but he's never worried about that being what's going to take the church down. He is greatly worried, greatly concerned is probably a better way to say it, about the church fighting from the inside. And he's afraid that's what will do the damage. That the church will rot from the inside out. But none of the threats that Rome can put against it. None of the threats that the Jewish authorities can put against it. They don't have, the church doesn't have a military. It doesn't have a voting voice. It doesn't, it's not even necessarily well financed in most ways. It's not very large. And here it sits in a multicultural um, international city with trade from all around the world, going to all around the world, crossing through its ports. All these multiple religions worshiping pagan gods. And Paul's still not worried about that. But he's worried about whether or not they get along. And so he hears from Chloe's people that, yeah, we've got some divisions going on. And that catches his attention and he writes this letter back to them. Now, what's really interesting is the kind of divisions that they have going on. They've got this popularity cult going on. And there's these different, different factions in the church. And what's going on in the first century is that you aligned yourself with a different philosopher, if you were in the Greek mindset, or a rabbi, if you were in the Jewish mindset, a particular teacher. And you became a 
listen to the word, a disciple of theirs. And you followed them. And so there is all kinds of prestige based on who you follow. And that's why he goes into this very thing to us. It says, says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. And Cephas is Peter, by the way. And so everybody's claiming their allegiance to somebody, to somebody else. Now, i got to tell you, as a preacher, this one hits home. I mean, this is the one where I know we'd, I'd love for you to all say, yes, we love Scott, and we love his preaching, and nobody can preach like Scott. I mean, that's what my ego wants to hear, but Paul won't have any of it. And there's even a group that says, I follow Christ. Now, that may be just one other faction, or maybe it's a group of people, and I know this is hard to believe, but maybe their claim is, we follow Christ, therefore we've got it right. And we're the only ones that have it right. I know we would never say that today. But that's what's going on with them. And there's all these divisions. And so Paul comes at with some very strong language. And if you have your journal, I want you to underline or I want you to circle this line. Verse 13. Is Christ divided? In verse 13 he asks, is Christ divided? And just a little bit of Greek. The Greek word behind that is not just, is he divided? It's got the action of, is he cut up? As if you took a pair of shears to the body of Christ and you began to dismember him. That's the visual in there. That that lands on me a different way. I I hope it lands on you a different way. That the idea that I would participate in the actual dismemberment, the hacking up of, the cutting up of the body of Christ. And so Paul doesn't slow down. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? So he, he understands. Even those that are claiming, hey, Paul, we follow you. He's like, don't. He said, it's all about Jesus. He says, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? And then he goes into this, this next little phrase. It sounds like he's kind of throwing baptism to the side. He's not. Let me explain what he's doing when he says, I can't remember. He's probably dictating this letter. And he's dictating in just real time. And so the way that that would work is, is he's proclaiming the letter the scribe is going. And they didn't have like delete keys. And they didn't have whiteout, which is an early form of a delete key. And what would happen is, look it up. Um, and what, some, what would happen is that as the scribe is writing, they just kept writing. Because they're capturing this, this letter, these thoughts. And so that's when that goes. So when he says, were you baptized in my name? Absolutely not. In fact, he says, I don't even remember baptizing somebody. Somebody else in the room says, well, Paul, you did baptize so-and-so. Oh, yeah. Okay, there was so-and-so. But nobody else. Oh, wait a minute, Paul. Don't forget. Right. Oh, yes, I did that in the house of Stephanus. But he's not trying to throw baptism out. What he's simply saying is, is my focus was to preach, but I wasn't trying to preach you into being my disciple. I was preaching and proclaiming Jesus as your Lord and that you're his disciple. Don't twist my words around, is what Paul is saying. Because this is critical to him. And so he gives this commandment in verse 10. And if you're looking for where is Paul teaching, where is is his directive, it's... Verse 10, 
And this is the other one that I want you to highlight, circle, write it, put it on your mirror, however you need to do it. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul is calling the followers of Jesus to be united, not divided. Now, he uses this language about of one mind. Now, is he asking us to agree on every single thing? Absolutely not. I do not believe that that is what Paul is calling us to. But he is asking us to be united even when we don't agree on every single issue that comes down. And what he's doing, it's a certain mindset that he's calling us to. It's a certain way of thinking and seeing the world because we're so used to being in just a, I'm going to protect my stance, I'm going to protect my position, I'm going to protect my property, whatever it is. I, I'm going to guard all the against me. And everybody that comes at me, they're the opposition. And so I've got my fist up and I'm ready to fight. And Paul says, there's another way to see the world, and that's with the mind of Christ. And that's what he's doing. When he says, in the name of Jesus... Under his rule, under his authority, there's a different way to live. Where I think this is actually spelled out even better is in Philippians chapter 2. This is the same idea, and if you're familiar with that letter that Paul also wrote, this, this is where he expands on this idea. And let me show you this. This is a letter that he wrote, and he wrote Philippians because there was a church fight. There were people that were at odds. And so here's what he says in Philippians 2. And if you want to write this, that reference down in your journal, I encourage you to do that and you can read this later. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, it sounds like he says we all have to agree, but look how he defines that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he goes into what is famously known as the Christ hymn that says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And it describes how Jesus becomes the servant of all, even a servant to death, even death on a cross. He says, that's the mindset that you have. That's not a mindset that says we all have to agree on everything. That's not a mindset that says for me to love you, I have to agree with you. It's not a mindset for me to display the grace of Jesus in your life that I have to go through a long list and approve of everything. Nor does it mean that for me to love you means that I validate every single thing you've ever said, every single thing you've ever done. Because we so often think that, don't we? And so here's the second takeaway. Division leads to despising, and despising leads to devaluing. That if I disagree with you, I can learn to despise you. And if I despise you, I can devalue you. And I don't see you somebody as worthy 
of my time or attention. But if you want to fight that, if you want to unify the body, you figure out a way to serve those you disagree with. Because that's the Jesus model. That, that's what Jesus did. Aren't you so grateful that Jesus did not wait until you fully agreed with him in all parts of your life before he laid down his life for you? And so the call is to find ways to serve someone else. And when you serve them, you will break the chain of disagreeing to despising to devaluing. And suddenly you'll be for them and you'll see the value in them. And that does not mean that you have to agree with them. But you can still serve this is so critical for us as a church. Just imagine how this could play out, even, even in a marriage. You've heard me say this before, but it's so true. I have yet to have a couple stressed out at odds with one another show up in my office, and the problem is because they're serving the daylights out of each other. They're just fed up with it. It doesn't happen. It's not going to happen in church either. We figure out a way to serve one another. And serving somebody does not mean you validate everything that they believe. But it means you value them. Once again, that's what Jesus did. So we've got a history of division in the church. I started thinking about just all the different ways that we fought. And you start thinking about our world today and the different ways that the world thinks about it. Obviously racism comes into mind. And the different ways we've segregated and we kept ourselves apart from one another. And Paul would look at that and say, is the body of Christ divided? And, and politically, I, it seems that we are at each other's throats politically now. And I want to tell you that guys that do what I do, I've had numerous friends over the past several years stop doing this. And the most critical time that they always want to make their exit is every four years on an election. Because it's killing them. Because I've had people that have changed their church because of politics. But I don't meet too many people that change their politics because of church. And we're so divided. And Paul would say, is the body of Christ divided in in ages it goes you know it's the baby boomers versus the millennials you know those of you the baby boomers you're an incredible generation and right now it's very easy to say you know what we fund everything we put our time in we've paid for it all should be our way millennials looking at but that's not real seems artificial we need to have something that's more authentic I'm a Gen X. I can judge you both. Works that way. Paul would look at us and say, is the body of Christ divided? Economic levels. The haves and the have-nots. Everybody trying to protect theirs or get more. Paul would say, is the body of Christ divided? And, and then we go into theological discussions. I mean, you may not be familiar with all of our history, but in my time, I've watched churches fight over kitchens and gyms. 
Songbooks versus screens. Instruments versus acapella. Women's roles. And, and the list just goes on and on and on. And I know some of those issues may be very important to you. And I'm not discrediting any of them. But Paul would ask us, is the body of Christ divided? And here's the last one, in case I haven't made everybody mad yet. As if all of that wasn't enough, COVID hits. And now we're divided over masked and unmasked. And vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And it is killing me to see on Facebook and other social media where people that I know and that I love and I've seen it on, if you're on the, the mask and vaccinated side, I've seen posts that go, follow the science, everybody else is an idiot. And on the unmasked and unvaccinated side, I've seen, ignore that, don't be a sheep. I have faith over fear. Paul would ask us, is the body of Christ divided? Folks, we've got to figure this out. We've got to understand what Paul is calling us to in the name of Jesus. Because here's the last thing, and here's why it matters to Paul, and here's why it matters to us. Division weakens our testimony to the gospel. Just imagine for a moment a world that is so frantic and divided, and they're at odds at each other, and somebody who lives in a fractured world, whether in their home or at their workplace, in their family, in their extended family, wherever. And they feel six days a week that fight and that push and that pull and that stress and the anxiety. And then they walk in here and they see the same. No thanks. I've got enough brokenness in my world already. But if they come in here and they witness a group of people, they're serving one another in the name of Jesus, despite their differences. There's a power in the gospel. I'll end with this story. I found this um, several years ago. It's about two doctors that got into a fight in the operating room. This actually happened. In addition to imposing the fines, the State Board of Registration and Medicine last week ordered the doctors to undergo joint psychotherapy. Now, don't you love that? It's like a timeout for adults, I guess. It also directed officials at the medical center for the cent of central Massachusetts who had already put the doctors on five-year probation to monitor doctors Chan and Corrigan for five years. They took their statements, and here's what happened. Dr. Chan swore at Dr. Corriganer, who threw a cotton-tip prep stick at Dr. Chan, the board said. The two then raised their fists, scuffled briefly. At one point, wrestling to the floor, a nurse monitored, monitored the anesthetized patient as the doctors fought. How would you like to be the patient on the table? Here's why it matters. The patient 
of the world is already on the table. We know where the healing comes from. Will we fight or will we be part of the healing? So what I want to leave you with this is this. Each moment that you want to let a disagreement between you and somebody else in the body of Christ grow into despising them and devaluing them, I simply leave you with this question. Is the body of Christ divided? If you would, let me stand and pray for us. Father, I'm going to confess this is a difficult one to preach on. It's even more difficult to live out. So I pray by the power of your Spirit that we would be different than the world. That we would demonstrate the mindset of Jesus that says, let me serve you. Let me humble myself, not for my sake, but for the name of Jesus. May that be what we live out here, Father. And may our testimony of the gospel and its redeeming power to all those that would see, all those that we would come into contact with during the week, all those that are in two miles or more around this building right here, this campus, that we would be a light and we'd be a place of hope because of that. Father, would you unify us? To your name we pray. And now we praise. Amen.